welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Queenie Zara McDonald and Queenie Annabelle Lee. Oh, well, hello, Queenie. Oh, he- hello. <laughs> she doesn't Hi. like it. She I'm, hates it. I'm just sitting with it. That's all. Coming up on today's show, Taylor Swift is coming to Australia. Courtney Kardashian is pregnant and announced it in quite the creative way. And Meghan and Harry part ways with Spotify amid being called grifters by an exec. Plus, Kayla Ritzinas speaks of her split from fiancé and business partner Toby Pierce. And then, can we talk about Daddy's Day? Oh, my God. First, <laughs> that sounds so stupid. Daddy's Day. Well, it's... Daddy's Day. Well, it's not silly. First, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. I have nothing to share apart from it being a good week. Can I jump straight into my rec, please? You absolutely can. So I want to recommend the show Shiny Happy People on Amazon Prime. This is a show about the Duggar family. That's what I was going to say. Is this the one that's going around about the Duggars? Yes, it is. I, as the listeners, are well aware of by now. I was a Foxtel kid, which meant I watched a lot of the TLC network. I think TLC in America was put on the Lifestyle Channel here on like Australian Foxtel, which meant 19 Kids and Counting and all of the various Duggar spin-off shows were put on Australian Foxtel, which meant I became very familiar with the Christian fundamentalist family with a million different kids. So did they have more than 19 kids? I think they ended up having 20 maybe, but there were so many kids. It was like an evolving story as well because they used to do TV specials before they got their own seasonal program. So I think I was first introduced to Jim Bob Duggar, the father of the family, when they had like 10 or 12 kids or something. So what is Shiny Happy People about? It is a deep dive into the show and into the cult-like culture of this form of religion. It's a very, very interesting look back on that era of reality TV and how this family became so famous and so adored despite being extremely problematic behind the scenes. Well, yeah, the stories that came out about the Duggar family mm. in recent years are pretty atrocious. Egregious. Well, one of them is in prison yes. and serving a 12-year prison sentence for child sexual abuse material. So keep that in mind. That is covered in depth. Abuse stuff is covered in depth in this show. But Shiny Happy People is a wonderful documentary series. Apparently, it is already Amazon Prime's most successful docu-series ever. Oh, wow. No, I've been seeing it around. Mm. And the name keeps throwing me because Shiny Happy People seems like it will be some sort of rom-com. Or like a crazy rich Asian. (laughs) (laughs) No, not even close to being that. It is really, really interesting. I can't wait to hear from the listeners who have already watched it. If you love cult vibes, if you love reality TV, I think this is the perfect marrying of the two. How good. What about you? What are you recommending? All right, so I have two recommendations, one slightly more rogue than the other. Let's. What happened to the days where we just brought one? I don't know. <laughs> Suddenly I changed the rules and then I held myself to an absurd standard of always having to come with two. But I thought I was serving the listeners. Yeah, okay, that's fine. You're just showing me up every week. No, no. Well, you'll understand one is weak. 
in terms of it being a recommendation. Okay. Let's just start with the first one because the first is a very good recommendation. I read a book this week. It is one of the best books I've read all year and everybody has to read it. It is called Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang. Have you guys seen this around? I have been seeing this, particularly in the last week. Everywhere. The one with the yellow cover. Correct. On TikTok. Have you seen it on TikTok? I've seen it on Instagram. I've seen ah. all these people on their Euro holidays taking, you know, those flat lay photos where you've got like your sunglasses, your beach towel. I've seen it everywhere in that setting. Have you seen it? Anna? I actually picked it up on the weekend. It's on sale. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Gimmicks, not sponsored. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, wait, so you bought it this I week? I bought it. Yeah, I oh. haven't read it yet, but I'm so intrigued. So this book is a really unique premise, I think. I don't feel like I've read much like it. It's about two writers in America. One is white, one is Asian American. On the first page, you find out that the Asian American writer who's like under the age of 30, female, dies quite suddenly out of nowhere. And she was like this hotshot writer, kind of of the fame of like a Sally Rooney, like taking over the world with her writing. When she died, her writer friend was there with her and realized she'd written a book that hadn't been released. <gasps> she steals it. She takes the manuscript. Oh. Now this all happens in the first few pages. So there's like no spoilers there. The whole book is about her stealing that manuscript and publishing it under her own name. It is incredibly pacey. It raises some really important themes. I think it's one of those really interesting, fascinating books that is so easy to flick through because the writing is so quick and so relaxed but the themes are just as equally so important. It's like that perfect mix. It is such a good book. I honestly feel like it's going to be the book of the next few months. And you read it in a week? Less than. I read it in a few nights when I was like, just got home from work. Oh, I love that. I think our community will love it. So get on it. Yeah, love that. And your mediocre rec? Oh, sorry. (laughs) She's forgotten already. It's no, no, you're It's so mediocre and forgettable. It's a condiment. Oh. That's why. It's a condiment. I wanted to recommend a condiment. This reminds me of when you recommended chicken salt. Yeah, well, that everyone got around it. it. They did. They actually loved the chicken salt rec. And this is the thing. Like, I live in quite a condiment-heavy household, big on condiments. And I honestly do feel like one of our talents at home is being able to find the good condiments that change everything. I can't take credit for this condiment. It's one of Ollie's, my partner's best friend who found it. <laughs> Ryan, shout out. It is like a herb aioli that you can put on anything. Burgers, sandwiches, we are throwing it on everything. I really should have stocked up before I spoke about it. Now it's called the Birch and White Parsley, Dill and Tarragon. Don't be thrown out by the fact on the label it says seafood sauce. It's not a seafood sauce. Okay. It's you can have it with anything. It is in the the fridge aisle. That also might throw you. Okay. Definitely get your hands on it. If you're a condiment inclined person. It's changed my life. What brand? Birch and Wait. And it's at like Woolies or Toscano's because does no. Ryan, is Ryan the friend that works at Toscano's? <laughs> so, oh my God, that's a real blast from the past. <laughs> yeah. Ryan is having his star moment Ryan on this show. Work, yeah, we, we mentioned him years ago. He used to work at Toscano's, so he's big on the food train. He doesn't work there anymore, but yes, he knows. I got this from Woolies. So is Ryan our new condiment correspondent? He can be. <laughs> I don't actually think he listens to the show at all, so let's see. <laughs> all right, so you think it's the best herb mayo on the market i think it's the best dupe on the market i think if you like your herb mayo and you find it in other places like (laughs) at a takeaway restaurant or something like that you can get a big hunky 250 mil (laughs) 
it's not actually that much. From the supermarket for $5. Delish. Delish. Deal is divisive, but I love deal, so I will be purchasing. It's still divisive. I, I think coriander is so. divisive. I don't know about deal. It's not overpowering okay. in the sauce. Honestly, guys, please try it. I, <laughs> sauce chat. I, I, I honestly, condiment chat. Yeah, so that's what I'm recommending this week. Shall we get into the world's largest quick and dirty? Let's get into the world's largest quick and dirty. Guys, there were lots of stories to talk about this week. Of course, the quick and dirty is the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara trying to take my coat off silently McDonald's. <laughs> I did it well. For us? I don't think anyone heard that. I just <laughs> took my large coat off in front of the mic while Michelle was speaking. I have heaps of stories. So let's go. Story number one, Taylor Swift announces five Australian shows. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. It's happening. Thank God we weren't wrong. Oh my God. Listeners, long time listeners of the show or even listeners since March will remember that we got on this show and we said we had a tip off that Taylor was coming to Australia, specifically the MCG in Feb. At, yeah, in like the last week or two of Feb. And we put it on Instagram and then everybody picked it up and ran and it became national news by action. <laughs> Sarah got called an MCG employee. Yes. And thank God we were right and thank God that tipster was right. Taylor Swift is coming to Melbourne on the 16th and 17th of February next year. She will then be in Sydney on three different dates on the 23rd, 24th and 25th. Unfortunately for our listeners in Perth, in Brisbane, in Adelaide. All other cities. And all the other cities in Australia, it is just Sydney and Melbourne. Also, New Zealand. I'm yeah, surprised no New she's Zealand. not going to New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. Now, no hate to Taylor. I know she's a busy girl. No, it, it, the thing is, you look at the schedule. And maybe I'm just saying this because she's coming to Melbourne. I have to <laughs> about this. Melbourne you, privilege. You look at the schedule and you think, gosh, she's really pushing herself here. Like, can she do much more? She's going to so many places. So I feel bad even saying, oh, why are you not going to Brisbane? Or why are you not going to New Zealand? She is packing it in. I just feel empathy for those who are missing out. For sure. The MCG for context can hold about 100,000 people. It depends on, you know, where the stage is, though, and mm. how many of those seats will be blocked mm. from seeing much. A core stadium in Sydney has a regular capacity of 83,000. Same rules apply. I'm sure you have to strip a few thousand off that. Pre-sale goes up early next week. General public get access on Friday in office hours. Our office is going to be so unwell. <laughs> it's like 10 a.m. in Sydney. The tickets go on sale next Friday. It's 2 p.m. in Melbourne. And I can tell you right now, I almost want to like jack the shameless media office with cameras because pandemonium will be unfolding. Well, I was going to say, oh my God, we need to film a TikTok of this. But who's filming the TikTok? Yeah, Everyone's on the computer trying to shop for the tickets. <laughs> the awkward thing as well, and Annabelle, you raised this this morning, the chances of everyone getting the tickets. Yeah. Someone's going to miss out and all multiple people are going to miss out. And then it will be that awkward thing like, happy for you. But like, <laughs> I worry I'll miss out. I'll have to leave early. I'll need to go home and mourn. <laughs> it will be that awkward thing where the person that has the ticket will be like, oh, sucks for you. The Sorry. awkward thing as well is, is that Annabelle, you've long suspected you're going to miss out. That's like you your, your default. Yeah, I have... default position is you're not going to get tickets. I think because I am maybe in one of the more cheaper people in the office. <laughs> so my bar has been quite low all along of how much I want to spend. Okay. I'm worried for myself. See, I've just always assumed I'm not going to miss out, which means I probably will and you probably won't. <laughs> We've been so arrogant. Zara and I are like, no problemo. We are definitely not like, just going to get tickets for us, but our sisters as I well. Like, I'll just work this out. Like, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work like that. Look, we'll check back in with you all after it. 
and let you know how we go. I will be carb loading. I will be on every device known to man ready to go. If I miss out, guys, I will be so upset. Yeah, and 2 p.m. is a really stressful time. Like you're waiting around all day for it. Can you imagine the Your Safe Friday that we'll be doing like an hour before? It will be panicked that is so true our second story travis barker found out that courtney kardashian is pregnant during blink 182 or blink 182 depending (laughs) on how you're inclined show that's from rolling stone yeah lots of you would have seen on the weekend that 44 year old courtney kardashian and 47 year old travis barker are pregnant they struggled with infertility for about two years They announced this in quite the iconic way. Courtney was at Travis's concert, as you said, Zara, and in reference to Blink-182's most popular music video, All the Small Things, she appeared in the crowd with a big sign that read, Travis, I'm pregnant. I loved this so much. Now, for those who haven't seen the All the Small Things film clip, and I don't blame you, the now 14-year-old music video did feature a screaming woman holding up that exact sign, Travis, I'm pregnant, Mm. at one of the concerts. Now, upon seeing the sign on the big screen because it was blown up for everybody to see and the the crowd went wild straight away lost it travis went into the crowd cuddled courtney and a video of the whole thing was posted to instagram where it went completely viral and like it did go viral i know everybody (laughs) said it went viral it has like 70 million views 70 million now this was very cute but also for many both in the public and the media very confusing like that rolling stone headline that we just read you Many corners of the internet interpreted this as Courtney telling Travis she was <laughs> pregnant and him having no idea. I think he contributed to this. I think they had a bit of a bit, right? Like she's in the crowd, she's got the sign. He kind of appears shocked or he appears surprised. And I wholly believe that was acting, but I think that's muddied the waters a little bit and confused people who maybe weren't familiar with this music video. I think we can say with complete certainty that he definitely knew she was pregnant. I mean, for starters, there's the obvious music video tie. But second of all, she's quite pregnant. Like, she's very visibly pregnant. And a follow-up carousel of photos shows Travis interacting with her belly. It's impossible to think that her husband didn't know she was pregnant before this. Yeah, 1,000%. I couldn't work out if the media were trying to, like, clickbait everybody Mm. and, you know, put out this message that Travis didn't know or if they genuinely thought that Travis didn't know. I mean, TMZ ran an article encouraging people to watch saying Travis Barker's surprise reaction to Courtney announcing pregnancy. So that is kind of hinting that he Mm. might not have known. Page six ran this headline. Fans think Courtney Kardashian's pregnancy announcement was staged. Travis knew. Obviously. But it's not (laughs) staged in that they're not trying to trick anyone. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're not trying to take anyone for a ride. Yeah. I just think it was like their little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think the media, large sections of it, was willfully misinterpreting this on purpose. But it's also kind of embarrassing to me. Like, for Rolling Stone to say that Travis Barker found out his wife was pregnant during his concert... Rolling Stone is supposed to be the experts on music and culture. If like anyone is supposed to know that Blink-182 reference, it's Rolling Stone. So I'm just surprised that publications did this. Completely. And it is actually really lovely news for the couple though. Like they've been quite open about their Mm. real desire to have a baby together. I know that they had taken a lot of the Kardashian viewers mish through their IVF journey. Yeah. They also announced at the beginning of the third season, which is currently airing, that they stopped IVF and were leaving things up to fate. 
In that episode, Courtney said, we are officially done with IVF. We would love a baby more than anything, but I really believe in what God has in store for us. If that's a baby, I believe it will happen. I think it's just really happy news for them, given how badly they wanted this. And the community really got behind it when we put it up and got like 20,000 likes. Well, also, I think people kind of respected the way it was announced. Like it was kind of fun and creative and slightly edgy. It's cool. It is cool. It is cool. And I don't know if Courtney and Travis have been cool for a while. (laughs) If I'm going to be totally honest. Backhand goes bang. I didn't mean it like that, but I guess I kind of did. Our third story. The rock star's not cool. Spotify executive calls Harry and Megan grifters after podcast deal ends. That is from The Guardian. I cannot wait to talk about this one with you guys. Lots to unpack here. So in case our listeners missed it, Harry and Meghan's multi-million dollar deal with Spotify has officially ended. At the end of last week, both parties said the contract was ending by mutual agreement. Mm, The statement read, Spotify and Archwell Audio have mutually agreed to part ways and are proud of the series that we made together. If you're hearing that and thinking, hang on a second, didn't they literally just recently sign that? And then also, what did they even create for Spotify under this reported $20 million deal? You would be asking some good questions. Absolutely, you would. The couple produced just one series under their Archwell Audio Podcast Network since signing the contract in 2020. The contract was signed for a reported $29 million AUD. That show was Megan's archetypes. You guys, of course, might remember it. The first episode was with Serena Williams. She had some incredibly high-profile guests like Mariah Carey Mm. as well. And it did do pretty well. Like, it did top the charts in a number of different countries, though they only produced 12 episodes. And that's all this deal produced. Mm. Now, it should be noted as well It has been reported that they now won't be paid anything close to the number that they signed, but I am not seeing that being shared far and wide. Like, I don't think it's a case of them pocketing this $29 million for 12 episodes. It's an interesting one. As with a lot of things with Spotify, the needy gritty details aren't ever really shared. You can only really go on leaks. I did listen to an interview with the former chief economist at Spotify, a guy named Will Page. I'm going to talk about him a little later in this segment as well. But he thinks they walked away with 18 million USD and there was just a $2 million USD productivity clause. So I think there are conflicting reports because Spotify never releases anything. Yeah. And just to do the maths on Mike for the listeners, like the number that I quoted 29 million was in AUD, which Mm. would bring it down to like, what, 25 Mm. million AUD. So still, if that's true, that's more than two mil an episode. (laughs) I mean, yeah, who knows? Now, (laughs) this news has definitely sparked some reactions. And funnily enough, I have felt reaction too. (laughs) But let's not get to me yet. For example, lots of people are quoting Spotify exec Bill Simmons, who said this on his own podcast in light of the news. I wish I had been involved in the Meghan and Harry leave Spotify negotiation. (laughs) grifters that's a podcast we should have launched with them um i gotta get drunk one night and tell the story of the zoom i had with harry to try to help him with a podcast idea do it it's one of my best stories okay so 
the grifters. <laughs> the fuck fucking them. grifters. <laughs> like that's about as blunt as you can get, right? Yeah. It's so interesting. Now, Bill Simmons is the head of podcast innovation and monetization at Spotify. It should be noted, though, he is the founder of the Ringer Podcast Network. Now, Ringer sold to Spotify for $196 million in 2020. And as part of that deal, as part of that sale, Bill got his very glossy leadership title within the company. We don't actually know what his day-to-day at Spotify looks like, but that is his title. Yeah, and I think when I was reading this and everyone was quoting the Spotify exec who said this, I think for me, the most important point was like, this is not one of those like suit and tie Spotify execs who doesn't have a public profile. Like this is Bill Simmons who quite often says interesting Mm. brash things because he's a podcaster who does interesting brash things do you know what I mean like this is part of his brand he is a public facing person he can kind of say these edgier things sharing edgy opinions is exactly how we built such a massive podcast network exactly that said I definitely still think it's relevant he is in the Spotify leadership team he is still tied to Spotify so Mm. for him to come out and say that is still a big deal fucking grifters fucking grifters it's pretty crazy yeah Now, Will Page, that former chief economist at Spotify that I mentioned earlier, he went on the BBC and basically made the comparison that Harry and Meghan were paid more for 12 episodes of Archwell than The Weeknd has been paid for Blinding Lights, which is the highest streamed song on the platform ever. And he made that comparison to say not bad for 12 hours work. He clearly is the former chief economist thinks this was a stupid deal. Like you get that very clearly when you listen to this episode. Yeah, I think that is actually the sense you get from most of Spotify though. Like I don't think they're being shy in hinting that they made a mistake here. I think the other thing that's interesting to note is a lot of people are comparing Meghan and Harry to the Obamas who did produce a number of series for Spotify under their production company, Higher Ground. They did get let go by Spotify last year, but they did make more content. And people are like, Mm. you know, it can happen. These deals can happen. The other thing I think that is interesting and probably worth mentioning in the context of this conversation, I don't really want to get into the weeds of like the podcast industry (laughs) on everyone. Because we care heaps, don't know about you guys. (laughs) But it does definitely feel like the days of the $100 million celebrity podcast exclusivity deal might be over. Mm. I think there was a few we had in a row. We had like Meghan and Harry's massive deal. We had Joe Rogan's even bigger deal. We had Alex Cooper's call her daddy deal. And they had this massive push for a time to get exclusive content onto Spotify. And Spotify are also hinting now that it's not really working. I mean, Spotify's co-founder, a guy named Daniel Ek, has admitted that they got a little carried away (laughs) with some of these deals because it sounds like they're not making the money back. It sounds like they've actually hemorrhaged money in this part of the business. It sounds like they invested so much into acquiring or licensing podcasts and getting them exclusive on the app. And it just doesn't really sound like it's worked out for them. Coming back to the Harry and Meghan podcast deal, though, I do find it really arrogant that anyone would sign a reported $20 million USD deal and churn out 12 episodes in almost three years. Like, how is that 
the case? How is that happening? How do you not feel indebted to a company that helped you leave the royal family and gave you that financial backing? I think this is where I'm starting to struggle slightly. It just seems like everything is not the way they want it to be. It's like the royal family wasn't quite the way they wanted it to be. And truthfully, we've watched the doco, read the book. There are so many valid thoughts around that. Mm. But in these business deals later, if it's still not working, I'm a bit like, what do you want? Like the overriding sense I have and the thought that I have is that compromise is part of life. And do they want to compromise on things? Like, are they negotiating with Spotify and trying to make podcasts and they're saying this is not aligning with anything we want to do? And Spotify is saying, well, we're paying you $29 million. We kind of need you to compromise slightly with Archwell Audio. Give us something. Yeah, like these need to be commercial products. Like they need to make us money back. That's the overwhelming thought that I have. It is strange and pretty terrible for brand that this has not worked out. Yeah, and apparently it's not just Spotify. Apparently the Netflix deal is also crumbling a little bit that Netflix, according to reports, are unhappy with the level of productivity that they've given them as well. It's like, if you're asking for so much money, you're not just going to be given this money purely for existing and having a press release come out. Where's the content? And like being tied to the brand, like having your name attached to the brand. And I do wonder if that's what they thought, that a lot of their value was being tied to the brand when these brands, Netflix, Spotify, are like, no, we want the work. Like, we want the products. The proof is in the pudding, to quote my mum. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Vicky. <laughs> Coming up after the break, Kayla Ritzina speaks of her split from fiancé and business partner Toby Pierce, and then we're going to talk about Daddy's Day. <laughs> Fourth story, missing Instagram star re-emerges after three years to say she's been battling an agonizing disease along with her six six six-year-old daughter and opens up on her healthcare system ordeal. That is from the Daily Mail. Yeah, one of the first ever big Australian influencers, Jessica Stein, probably known more commonly as her handle Tula Vintage, has reappeared on Instagram kind of after not posting for three years. Yeah, for context for the listeners, Jess was definitely one of the first women on the platform who really made it a space where bloggers and lifestyle influencers could thrive. She was certainly, I think, one of the first influencers I ever followed over mm. 10 years ago. I think she rose to fame amongst accounts like Gary Peppergirl, Song of Style and Kiara Ferrani. That definitely feels like the era of the yeah. OG influencer. Now, in 2017, she had her first child, Rumi, who was born with an incredibly rare chromosomal disorder. And from that point, Jess seemed to slow her Instagram activity down pretty significantly after the birth. And then she went completely dark on the account. A lot of her followers were pretty concerned about what this meant for Rumi and the family and their health because what we did know is that Rumi had been pretty unwell since the moment she was born and that Jess had definitely taken a step back from her career as an influencer to care for her. For sure. We also talked about this on Shameless a couple of years ago because we followed Tula Vintage for so long and we were wondering where she was like so many others. Now, on Monday night, people got answers. Her account was used for the first time in that three-year period, not by Jess herself, though. It was actually her cousin who came onto the platform to announce that Rumi is still unwell And Jess has also become unwell herself. 
In the caption and a subsequent GoFundMe that was posted, this cousin, whose name is Sarah, explained that Jess has suffered gaslighting by the health system for many years while trying to advocate for Rumi. She has repeatedly been told the symptoms she was explaining were physiologically impossible to survive and that she wanted to have a sick child in hospital. Yeah, now there's a bit of detail in the Instagram caption. There's also far more detail in the GoFundMe page that was linked. And that's what we're going to read from a little bit here. Now, Jess's cousin Sarah said many of Jess's symptoms started in 2019 when she was living in hospital with Rumi. She said this, Jess started to experience light sensitivity and migraines for which she sought help. Things worsened and became acute following a lumbar puncture in which she blacked out. She woke up to severe tearing chest pain, visualized full body circulation changes, leg weight weakness, numbness, and often different blood pressures in each arm. Sarah then said that Jess was discharged with a diagnosis of conversion disorder and anxiety. Now, for context, conversion disorder is a mental health condition that causes real physical symptoms that a person can't control. But Sarah wrote, each time she was sent to hospital with acute and visible symptoms, medical professionals continued to say it was conversion disorder. So I think that's what Sarah is hinting to when she says Jess feels gaslighted because whenever she was presenting with what she thought was something different, the hospital system was saying conversion disorder. Yeah. The GoFundMe description went on, Jess has not been physically strong enough or able to speak up or post about what she's been going through for so many reasons, including feeling isolated and defeated. She is so tired of having to fight so hard for them both to receive adequate and appropriate healthcare and can't do it anymore. Now, this GoFundMe has been launched to raise funds for medical costs, investigation, further therapies that might be used to help Jess and Rumi with what they're experiencing. Look, I think no matter what, there's a lot of information in this GoFundMe and I personally am not familiar with a couple of terms used, but I think no matter what, it is very clear that Jess is really going through something and I think a lot of women as well, a lot of people listening to this would relate to the feeling of feeling like something is wrong, having a gut feeling that something is off and not actually having answers for what that is and I think that's an incredibly relatable experience and you wouldn't wish that upon anyone. It's a really complicated one. I think there's lots of layers to this and I think I speak for everyone when we hope that Jess feels better soon and so does Rumi. Yeah, I think people had been wanting an update from these two for so long and I think it's certainly not the update that people had wanted. Our fifth story, Rich Lister, Kayla at Cenus, is finally ready to talk now. That is from the AFR. Now, Kayla at Cenus was profiled in the Australian Financial Review over the weekend, and I have to say it was a really, really enjoyable profile. I think it's probably the best profile I've read of her Mm. ever. I think she comes across as very genuine and I know this is such a buzzword but she does come across as very authentic and she also spoke for one of the first times publicly about her split from fiance and business partner Toby Pierce and I felt like reading this piece she walked the line very well it's very hard to talk about what might have been a messy split Mm. or especially when you're in business together honestly without kind of airing dirty laundry and I felt like she was truthful but quite respectful what did you think I agree with you I think this is one of my favorite profiles I've read of an Australian public figure in a very long time I think it would be very hard to speak truths or your truth about how you feel about the father of your child and I feel like she walked the line meticulously a bit of context before we dive in Kayla is arguably 
Australia's most famous and most successful personal trainer and fitness entrepreneur. She was with Toby Pierce for eight years. In that time, they built the health and fitness app Sweat. They debuted on AFR's Young Rich list back in 2016 with a combined wealth of 46 million. They were only 24 and 25 years old, respectively. By 2019, they had risen to number 10 on the list with a combined fortune of 486 million. It's crazy. Now, they got engaged in 2018. They welcomed their daughter in 2019. And in 2020, they announced that they were parting ways romantically. So that's kind of what you need to know about their history together. Back to the profile, though, looking back on her relationship with Toby, Kayla said, I really don't think stepping back and looking at my years with Toby that we were anything alike. I'm a fixer. I want to make sure your day is the best day possible. I want to make sure if you are in my house, you feel warm and comfortable and loved. That's me. Toby came to me with no family, no sense of that. I thought I can fix you. He told me we're dating. Now we're starting a business. Now we're doing this. Mm, The piece went on. Kayla felt at times that she was simply being taken along on Toby's ride. Toby and I very much went like that. She places her hands like parallel tracks and he took the business side and I was the face. I was creative. I was there for people. Toby was money driven, business minded. He was a trainer, but for him, it was a means to an end. He was also studying commerce and law. So training wasn't his thing. It was my thing. Yeah, she went on and she said, I grew up with so much love that I didn't really care about money. A lot of people who don't grow up with love want money because they want to impress people. They want that validation. Success insulates them. Writer Lauren Sams went on and said, now she wonders how she and Pierce became a couple at all. Kayla said, we are the polar opposite of one another. I look back and think, I have no idea how that all happened. I couldn't have done it without him and he couldn't have done it without me. But I still have no idea how it all happened. I found the end of the piece very striking as well. I really loved how it ended. She said, I could never have done this alone. But yes, I did show up. I did do the boot camps. I did the training. I did the interviews. I was the face. I never woke up and said, I want to make a million dollars. I would be happy, genuinely very happy, if I was a personal trainer at a gym forever. Yeah. After reading this piece, I believe that. Often that can be kind of an annoying thing that people say to be like, you Like know, you're worth $400 million. <laughs> but or I would were, just yeah. go back to my roots if I could. You read yeah. this and you're like, no, nah, I can kind of say that's fair. Well, she still lives in the same neighborhood as all of her family. She's never moved out of Adelaide. I feel like there are a lot of markers of a person that show they want this extremely glittery aspirational life for themselves and the way Kayla lives doesn't suggest that the way she lives suggests that she's very family oriented she's extremely grounded and truthfully she found herself here because a sequence of events happened to unfold in front of her yeah and that she was a really good PT for Mm. sure but she was never intending to build a multi-million dollar business out Mm. of it as you read from those quotes and you would have heard from those quotes she's so honest about the fact she could never have got here alone and she's very generous about that given she is the face of the business but it doesn't sound like the split was easy and I think it would have been a very hard thing to talk about being honest about it while also keeping parts of it for yourself our sixth story another fan has come forward with allegations about Colin Ballinger also known as Miranda Sings that is from Pedestrian all right 
for starters, you guys might be wondering, some of you might be wondering, who is Colleen Ballinger or Miranda Sings? Colleen is a 36-year-old YouTuber and comedian. Miranda Sings is Colleen Ballinger's alter ego. I think more people would recognize Miranda Sings. She definitely has, the alter ego has the bigger profile. She is that character with the wildly misapplied red lipstick, the dorky clothes, the creepy almost clown-like personality, Annabelle. Do you think yes, that's fair? Yes, very sarcastic. It's a certain kind of humour that she's trying to portray. A bit naughty mm. as well. The humour is often edgy. She was massive on YouTube for a very long time, but really rose to prominence in that 2015 to 2018 era where YouTube was it and there was a lot of shit going down. At the time of recording, Miranda Sings, the alter ego, has 10 million subscribers on YouTube, but Colleen also has a pretty big personal account. She has another 3 million subscribers on the platform. So we are talking about a big content creator here with a huge amount of influence, Zara. Yeah, 100%. And I think one thing that is quite clear about Miranda Singh's audience is that the people who watched her videos, or maybe I should say the majority of people who watched her videos over the years were teenagers, right? Young people. We were actually talking about this in the Shameless Office yesterday and it seemed like a lot of the team who like Miranda Sings really got into her when they were in their late teens. Yeah. yeah. So Colleen Ballinger has come under fire in recent years, but particularly in this last fortnight, and she has been accused of having inappropriate dealings with her young fan base. To backtrack ever so slightly, murmurings of this first came about in 2020. Remember like the great cancellation of influences in well, the pandemic? Well, YouTubers particularly. Yeah. Miranda slash Colleen was pulled into that. A former fan named Adam McIntyre released a video titled Colleen Ballinger Stop Lying. That video got 1.7 million views and in it, Adam alleged that when he was between the age of 13 and 15, Colleen was repeatedly inappropriate with him. He also made claims that she was sexually inappropriate at times. His main example of this was that Colleen had sent him lingerie in the mail. Adam, at the time of creating this video, was 17. So he was coming to it saying, this was weird a couple of years ago. I always felt odd about it and I want to talk about it now. Yeah, now Colleen did respond to this at the time. She uploaded a video titled Addressing Everything, which was very of the time as well when all of these apologies were done. It was like, my truth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, whatever. Well, it it was. wasn't even just Adam's video that she was addressing. She yeah. had a, a slew of things that people wanted to take her to task on. Yeah, and she essentially said that she sent lots of items as giveaways to lots of fans and that Adam specifically requested the lingerie. Now, this video, it should be noted, got more than double the views that Adam's video got and was basically universally praised at the time, while Adam's feedback on his video after Colleen had uploaded hers was so negative, he actually had to suspend comments. Meanwhile, Colleen's was glowing. The top comment with 5,000 likes is this one. This is a good apology video. She isn't crying over dramatically or blaming anyone else. She is taking responsibility for her mistakes, which is very mature. Good job, Colleen. People loved Colleen Ballinger, even when she was being accused of some shady stuff and people were trying to cancel her. 
in 2020, her fan base was not willing to let her go. You're a, you're a pretty big fan of yeah. Miranda Sings, Annabelle. I'd say I'm a relatively OG fan of Colleen Ballinger. Mm-hmm. I found her through Miranda Sings, but I really liked her. And I do actually remember watching this video in 2020 yes. and kind of agreeing with that top yeah. comment. But I remember being like, this is a good apology. Well, when you, I guess when you've got the information that you have and you've got her response as well, mm. all of that is relevant. And I think that was the sentiment at the time for sure. I mean, it was clearly not just your sentiment. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And dare I say, it was close to everyone shared that opinion. That was three years ago. Now, more of Colleen Ballinger's once teenaged fans are coming out and they are increasingly saying that their dealings with her were concerning. As we said, Colleen is now 36 years old. So to place this in the context of when this was all happening, she was in her early 30s. These fans were majority, it sounds like, between the age of 13 and 18, from what I'm finding. Yeah, exactly. We also should note from the outset that these are allegations that are existing on social media. Colleen has not responded. So it's not like we've heard from her in all of this. She hasn't said anything yet, but I think it's worth us putting that out there at the start. So what are they alleging was inappropriate? Well, according to these young people, Colleen wasn't just talking to teenage fans privately. She was also engaging with a handful of them in a group chat. It does appear that some people in this group chat were of age. Others were allegedly younger. Yeah, Adam is one of those people. He says he was 13 when he was first added to this group chat. Now, according to Adam and a couple of others, conversations ranged from Colleen asking these teenagers about period blood and whether or not they'd lost their virginity. Another screenshot that is unverified, but Adam shows in a recent video, shows Colleen asking what position they like. Adam says she was asking them about sexual positions. Now, according to these unverified screenshots, Colleen also appeared to consult the group about her divorce from another high-profile YouTube figure, And according to Adam, Colleen added him on Snapchat. He also says that Colleen would comment on his body and does seem like maybe expressed interest in hiring him as an employee or getting him to work for her as an intern. So there was definitely, according to Adam and a couple of others, a bit of a blurred line between celebrity and fan these fans were becoming friends they were becoming employees they were becoming an inner sanctum and given their age things got messy now as you mentioned at the top mish this is just one of a bunch of videos going around on tiktok that do allege that miranda slash colleen engaged with her teenage fans in a questionable way there was another woman called becky who said she was deeply uncomfortable to have her legs pulled apart by miranda on stage when she was 16 and that she feels her underage body was exploited for entertainment and made her feel unsafe that video has 1.3 million likes yeah so this is stuff that's being shared pretty far and wide and i think as so often we see on the internet people are now dredging up old controversial content that Colleen has released over the years, particularly relating to jokes, sexualized jokes she might have cracked about teenagers. Yeah, it's an interesting one. There are multiple jokes that she makes about teenagers' bodies or sex lives that is very interesting to watch with all of this in mind. Now, the tone has absolutely changed from the response in 2020 when everyone rushed to Colleen's defense. I found this to be an interesting juxtaposition. Adam released this new video and it now carries this as the top comment. 
I feel like the worst part about your 20s is realizing how creepy some adults in your life were towards you as a child or teen. I'm glad this stuff is getting called out. Yeah, it's a messy one for sure. And as we said, just social media allegations. As of recording, Colleen has said nothing. She hasn't posted since June 1, but that is the conversation online right now. And our seventh story, Benefer's Thirsty Father's Day. That is from Lainey <laughs> Gossip. Now, I actually wanted to dedicate the last story of the day to the social media activity I saw on Instagram over the weekend about Father's Day in the US. Would you indulge? You fought for this story, but I'm actually happy you did. Let's do it. Where are we starting? All right. So there are two posts I want to talk to you about, right? <laughs> One was from Jennifer Lopez. The other was from John Mulaney. Both of these Father's Day posts <laughs> piqued my interest in different ways. And so what I thought we could do is that you could join me in deciding whose post was worse and which one is going to the Father's Day Instagram activity prison. Are you ready? <gasps> Instagram activity prison. prison. It should be a thing. It will be a thing. Oh, will it? Now it will be. <laughs> Shall we start with the first post? Yes, please. On my agenda. Let's start with Benefer. Now, I loved the opening line of Lainey Gossip's piece when she reported on what J-Lo posted for Ben Affleck on Father's Day. Lainey Gossip wrote, On the rare occasion, it is possible to cringe and also be delighted at the same time. But Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez managed to do this more often than most. <laughs> so J-Lo posted her dedication to Ben, writing Daddy Appreciation Post. Happy Father's Day, Papa, and Happy Father's <laughs> Day to all the amazing papas out there. We love you and appreciate you more than you will ever know. So sweet, right? I don't know if I think that her calling him Daddy is sweet that i like the extension to all fathers yeah well i agree daddy appreciation <laughs> feels quite funny especially when the opening photo was 1000 percent a thirst trap mirror selfie <laughs> taken by ben his shirt was off he does look pretty ripped i will say it's unclear whether he's wearing underwear it's quite an exposing photo i've got to be honest <laughs> he is absolutely not wearing underwear in this photo it is cropped you know those V muscles? Yeah, yeah, the V. I used the to v. love Chad Michael Murray because he had the V. He had the V and you also know like the snail trail or whatever they call it. <laughs> now, you get, <laughs> you get both, but the V is so prominent. I was looking at this photo tracing the V down. It's like, like, we're, we're going low. We're going too low. We've, we've, daddy. We've cropped it, dare I say, just above penile area. I agree. <laughs> so this is... You cannot say penile and area. I don't know if you can. It's, it's anatomical, <laughs> Annabelle Lee. It's also factual. And the thing is, she's posted this as the lead photo with Daddy Appreciation Post. So if she didn't want us to talk about it, well, she certainly wanted us to talk about it. And look, don't get me wrong, again, he looks pretty good in my mind. So that's post number one. Post number two I want to talk about is from John Mulaney. Slightly different vibe. He posted a photo on Instagram with his partner, Olivia Munn, and their son, Malcolm, who is about 18 months old. In the post, he wrote, you made me a dad, Olivia. I love you forever for doing that. Now... No one else might care about this, but I'm still hung up on this story. And that's why I'm still mad about this. For those who have forgotten, John Mulaney was married to artist Anne-Marie Tendler and they were very public about not wanting kids together, right? It was a big part of the conversations they had together. Their split was announced in May 2021. Anne-Marie made no secret of the fact she didn't want the marriage to end. She said, I am heartbroken that John has decided to end our marriage. One week after the public announcement of their breakup, news broke that Mulaney was dating Olivia. Mm. Less than two months later, it was confirmed that she was then pregnant with their first child. 
The baby was born in November. We found out that he had split from Anne-Marie in May. The timelines were as blurry as blurry can be. Do you remember when he went on a talk show? I'm trying to remember who it was. It might have been Seth Meyers. Because it was such a big public conversation that the timeline was very tight. Mm. He opened up on Seth Meyers by saying, so December I was doing this, January I was doing this, (laughs) then February I met this wonderful woman named Olivia. And it was like this like month by month so he could prove that the timelines weren't blurry. And I think if you go on a talk show having to do that, it's murky. I don't know. Maybe the caption's not even that bad. I'm just like... Shall we read it again for those who might have forgotten (laughs) after all the context? You made me a dad, Olivia. I love you forever for doing that. I hate it. You put it into our Slack channel, Zara, I think on Monday. And Annabelle, myself and scandal producer Eilish were instantly irate. (sighs) Oh, because it, because we also did forget it was Father's Day. Yeah. So we were like, this is the most insensitive thing we've ever seen. So I do think the Father's Day thing softens it a little bit, but I'm interested. What post annoys you more? I'm not annoyed about J-Lo's daddy appreciation post. I'm more amused. I'm more amused and I more find it funny I'm that delighted. Ben Affleck is taking mirror dick pics. <laughs> I do find John Mulaney's annoying. But then the more I sit with it, the more I don't know if that's fair. Like, Anne-Marie Tenler didn't want kids. That's the thing. So he has every right to change his mind. I think I'm annoyed at John because deep down I will always sit on Anne-Marie Tenler's side and for that reason I'm putting John Mulaney <laughs> in Instagram activity prison. Done. Lock the gate. <laughs> Throw away the key. I got to say, I don't know if it's fair either. I just am... I'm, annoyed about this in perpetuity Annabelle Lee told me yesterday that she'd actually forgiven John Mulaney after watching his new Netflix special or something I tried to watch that and I don't think it was very good she was actually so funny I put it in our like rec window in Slack and I was like I loved it he's so self-aware and he's so brilliant I love him again I have this irrational soft spot for John Mulaney John Mulaney is your green what was my thing for Drew Barrymore that she could do anything and I'd still love her that's John Mulaney for you I'm so reluctant I don't want it to be this way I am Girl, Anne Marie. power <laughs> well, I was about to say I actually don't think you choose I think it's destined in the stars oh, that, that you have your true. celeb and it doesn't make sense and every part of you sometimes wishes it wasn't that way I think it is that way for you I think you were preordained to just fucking ride or die so for John Mulaney are you sending JLo no I'm not sending either of them that's against the law. <laughs> yeah I guess JLo but, <laughs> but I do think it's funny too yeah I know look I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say we will be polling you you bet on your say friday tomorrow but for now that's all we've got time for yeah guys thank you so much as always click that follow button wherever you're listening to this sometimes it's a subscribe button sometimes it's a follow button click it it helps us find new listeners every single week and it informs you when a new episode is dropping we're also on socials search shameless podcast and you'll find us annabelle lee anything to add uh it starts with b ends in up is it book book club this saturday oh beautiful Club this Saturday. Did you like my intro? I, <laughs> it's blog. I was too thrown that it actually is book club this Saturday. It is book club yeah. this Saturday. We have read Really Good Actually by Monica Heisey and we have thoughts they will be published on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.